I want to start today with the very first word of Parshas Vayikra. That's the word Vayikra. The poet E.E. E. Cummings, who messed around with capital letters and normal letters, he forced the reader into an aesthetic interpretation of his poems by using extraordinary placements of capital and lowercase letters. For instance, he starts one poem, I thank you, God, for most this amazing day. And you can see the word I in I thank you is in lowercase. In another poem, he writes, humanity, I love you. Again, I with a lowercase. In both examples, he diminishes himself before God and humanity by the simple yet unusual changing of the case of the proper I. And if we look at today, the very first letter, the very first word in Pashas Vayikra, you will see that the Aleph is an Aleph Ze'era. It's a small Aleph written in the Hebrew orthography. It says Vayikra El Moshe, but usually it says who the subject is. It just here starts the whole of the book of Leviticus with, and he called to Moshe, and then, and God spoke to him. The translation reproduces the oddness of the Hebrew, and he called to Moses, and the Lord spoke to him. According to normative usage, one would have expected, and the Lord called to Moses, and he spoke to him. Is the postponement of the subject a maneuver to isolate and emphasize the act of calling, as Robert Alter suggests? And several medievalists argue that the calling or the summoning by Yikra is the necessary preceding stage before divine speech. So first you have to be invited, you have to be called, and then the speech starts. And therefore it has to be placed in the syntactic foreground. But the verb, the first word of the text, Vayikra, is the prevalent Hebrew name for the book. Now the Rajbam, 12th century French Hebrew exegete, notes that Shmos ends by reporting Moshe lo yochal Moshe. Moshe was not able to enter the tent. Moshe was not able to enter the tent because the cloud was there. So his being unable to enter the tent of meeting because it was filled with the Lord's glory, now the Lord must address Moshe from that very place in order to speak to him. Now, of course, what you can see is that small Aleph, and the Medrash immediately points out that in other places we have a very large Aleph. This wonderful manuscript from the 13th century of Divrei Hayomim, and you can see the Aleph of Adam, Odom, Enosh, Cain, Mechalalel. He's going through the genealogy of the uh, sons of man from Adam down. And you can see the Aleph is Ravrava. It's, it's large. So we have three orthographic styles of Hebrew lettering. The regular size the Ravrava, like Bracious Borelikim, the base of Racious, Bracious, the Aleph of Adam in Divrei Hayomim. And then we have Ze'era, the tiny little Aleph that we see in Vayikra. Now, if I share with you the Qumran scrolls, that would be a very interesting witness to what is going on. Was that written at Har Sinai? When did that creep in? So here is a first century 
manuscript that we discovered in the 50s in the Qumran Dead Sea Scrolls, the Ein Gedi Scroll of Parshas Vayikra. The great Emmanuel Tov, who is the professor of Bible at Hebrew University, who spent decades unraveling the text of the Bible, both the Aleppo Codex as well as the Qumran text, because it was broken, there are only fragments, but you can see Leviticus 1, Vayikra, and the Aleph is a regular size. Which leads us to the questions, and the questions we have are as follows. Why are there minuscule letters in the Torah? And so the scholars suggest three reasons. One, it may have been the practice of ancient scribes to omit a letter at the end of a word whenever the following word begins with the same letter. Oh, Vayikra, Aleph, L, the next word is starts with an Aleph. No need to waste ink, no need to do it, because just write Vayikar without the Aleph and assume that everyone knows that the next letter will start with the same letter. So when the scribes went to reinsert the letter back, they had to do so because there was no space. When the tradition changed and they wanted us to know exactly what the manuscript says, the Masoretic texts, they didn't have room, so they had to squeeze it in. That's theory number one. Number two, the small letters hint at an alternative textual tradition. As we will see, it says, and God appeared to Bilam by Yikar, without the Aleph. So it could be that you meet someone along the way by Yikar, happenstance. That could be the intent. And so there was two textual traditions, one with the Aleph, one without. And the scribes, to show us that there were alternative readings, made it small. Lastly, the letters were intended to serve as a commentary, but we forgot the meaning. Okay, very nice. Well, let's see what the commentary is. The Medrash steps in. Before I do the Medrash, I want to show the Balaturim because everybody quotes him. Even though he's a medievalist, I want to show him because he really uh, helps us. And the Balaturim says as follows, Aleph de Vayikra Ze'era. What is the reason for the small Aleph? The small Aleph represents the smallness of Moshe, the humility of Moshe. Why? Lo lichtov elo He only wants to say vayikark, kederech as it says in Numbers, by Bilam and by Hagar, in which God calls him the same way. He was humble enough to say, I'm no better than Bilam, I'm no better than Hagar, so I'm just going to write Vayikra without the Aleph, or a small Aleph, Shenema Babilam. Ki ilo Hashem el b'mikre. Baruchu. No. Write it with an Aleph. Because you, I love. It's a Loshon Chiba. I appear to you. It's not just by happenstance on the way, like with Bilam and Hagar. God orders Moshe to write it with an Aleph. But then again, out of his humility, he makes the Aleph small. That is a constant theme in the medievalists, that Moshe's humility affects the way he writes. For instance, Umoshe Hoya Onov Mikol Adam. Moses was the most humble when God was criticizing Miriam and her brother Aaron. And Moshe didn't want to write that full. He took out the Yud. So there are other instances in which Moshe tries to change the orthography because of his humility. And I just want to show you the Bilam verse. 
As you can see, it doesn't say Vayikra Elokim El Bilom, it's Vayikar. And manifested or happenstance, he appeared to Bilam and said to him, I set you up to do this, don't try and change my rules. Okay, so now that we understand from the Balaturan that it's Moshe's humility, what does the Medrash say? And the Medrash says something very enigmatic. Ma bein Nevi'e Yisrael and Nevi'e Umasola. What's the difference between the Nevi'im of Yisrael and the Nevi'im of the Umasola? Because we're talking about this Aleph. Moshe is saying, I'm no different to Bilom. So is there a difference? Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa says, Moshe, the And we're going to see three different King Mishalim to explain God's relationship to prophets which is outstanding because it implies, number one, we realize that God speaks to the nations of the world. Not only that, he speaks to their prophets. So this is written in the third, fourth century. And we know that other religions already have their own prophets, the, the Karaites and the early Christians. And the, so what's the difference? This is a polemical statement. B'meshalim shonim. He speaks to them in different Parables. What does that mean? A king had a beloved friend in his palace. Now, whenever the king speaks to anyone, he never speaks directly. No one looks at the gazes at the king's face. So, but when he spoke to his beloved, he folded the curtain. Now, clearly that is Moshe, because it says in the verse, Moshe sees me, ponim b'ponim, dibeh Hashem elov. V'chein nevuei kol nevuei Yisrael, shehein mitnabim mikoach nevosim shel Moshe. Because all the prophets of Israel derive their prophecy from the smicha, the transmission of the prophecy of Moshe. Begilui penei ha'havaya. But because he doesn't love the Nevi'im, the prophets of the world, therefore he doesn't fold the Vilon. He keeps the curtain down. Yeah, I got to speak to you because you're a prophet, but I'm going to speak to you through a, a, a curtain and you'll not see my face. The second marshal is that a king has a wife and... And that, and he's married to her. And then he also has a harem with a pilegesh, a concubine. He did not marry her in public. So when he walks along Buckingham Palace Road with his wife, he 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 walks with her in public. But when he's walking for spazier with his girlfriend, his uh, mistress, with his harem, he walks with her through the back alleys. He doesn't want to be seen in public. Okay. Ah, the back alleys means the night time. When God appears to the Nevi'im of the worlds, it's always in the darkness so that no one can see him. Why? Elohim Elohim El Bilom 
But by Abraham, it says, In the middle of the day, the midday. So I think that's very interesting that what the Medrash is doing is actually uh, telling us that, number one, prophets of the nations have access to the divine. Number two, what's the difference between then the quality and the authority of the Torah of Moshe and Moshe's prophecy compared to Bilam or Yoshki or, or, or anyone else? Muhammad. Each time they came along, they said, I am here to supplant the Old Testament with the New Testament, with the Quran, with uh, Joseph Smith and the tablets from the Mormons in 1837 in upstate New York, Palmyra, right? So, so the question is, he reveals himself to the Ummah Sa'olam, but it's done in a relationship that is like, like a hooker, like a pilegesh, like a woman of the night he goes around with. But with Moshe, it's in daytime, but Farhesia, he pulls the velon down, which leads us to the next statement in Vayikra Rabbah, Ma be Nevi'e Yisrael, Nevi'e Ulmas Olam. What is the difference between the Nevi'e Ulmas Olam and Moshe? Rabbi Chamal, Rabbi Chamal, Eina Kodesh Baruch Niglo Al Ulmas Olam Elo Bechatsi Dibo. We started off by saying that it was a face-to-face -face divine revelation. Now we're saying. What is that revelation? Well, it's usually a word, the Logos, this divine word that comes to the prophet. Okay, so is there a difference between the divine word that comes to the prophets of the nations versus Am Yisrael, the Nevi'e Yisrael? So he says, yes. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Nigla al Umas HaOlam B'Chatsi Dibor. What is Chatsi Dibor? It's a fractured word. Kemoda Atama by Yakar Elokim El Bilom. By Yakar isn't a full word. It's a fractured word. We fractured the Aleph from by Yakar, by Yikra. It's a fractured word. Here you see that the Aleph is full. This Medrash ignores the Aleph Ze'era. Okay, now let me share with you the Zoyar. The Zoyar. I want to read to you. What is the small Aleph? This can be compared to a king sitting upon his throne wearing a royal crown. He is called the Supreme King. When he descends and goes to his servant's house, he is called the Small King. Now, these are Kabbalistic metaphors. There's Arich Anpin and Zer Anpin. Zer, the Aleph Zeira is a pun here. The Aleph Zeira is a small Aleph. And the Zoyar is saying that represents the not Moshe and not Moshe's humility. It represents the manifestation of the divine in its greatness or its smallness. At Har Sinai, before the Egel, God manifests itself Bechinas Atiko, Bechinas Arich Ampin, big face. But since the Egel, he's constricted himself into the Oel Moed. So, he comes down below into the world as a kind of substitute for the Egel, a fixing of the Egel. Man needs some kind of manifestation of the divine in the world. God therefore has to constrict himself. That's the small Aleph. That's the small king. 
which is a, a, a radical thing to say. Why is he called small? The second Zohar says, why is he called small? That's not on God, it goes on Moshe. Moshe, by definition, is small. Why? Because the small Aleph derives from a small place, whereas the large Aleph is the Aleph of Adam. So he can talk to Adam, who has a large Aleph, because that is before the sin. And therefore he can communicate with him with this largesse, with this greatness. Moshe's existential reality in this world, after the fall, after the Egel, represents his smallness compared to that of Adam. And we're actually told in Otiot Rabbi Akiva that after the Avon of the Egel, Nitma to Mimenu Tov Tov Kuf Tzadik Tes Chelke Or, that thousands of beams of light were taken away from Moshe. From the thousand pieces of light, there was only one chelek left. And so, because it's the notarikon, the gematria of Aleph B'milua, if you go Aleph, Vav, Lamed, Pei, you get to the numbers of numerology in the word Aleph. He was only left with one, which makes it the Aleph Ze'era. Now we learn about this in the Morinaim. The Morinaim himself says, Vayikrel Moshe, Ketiv Aleph Ze'era, Dehainu, Shehashem Yisboruch, and he doesn't make this as a result of sin. He says this is the reality of the world, the transcendent world and the imminent world. That is, Aleph Ze'era represents Hashem Yisboruch, Shehu Alufo Shelolam, he's punning on the word Aleph and Alufo. Alufo means the colonel, the general, the master of the universe, right? That Alufo Shelolam has to be Metsumtsam Eitzel Kol Echod Mi Yisrael. Every person has within him a divine spark, but that divine spark clearly is not the infinite divine spark of the transcendent in its Miluim, but it's the divine spark that is metzumtzam. It is completely contracted in the individual. Which now leaves us with the Degel Machne Ephraim that I want to share with you, because it is something that applies to us. The Degel, as I tell you, is the Talmud of the Baal Shem Tov. My mentor, Rip Hershey, just came out with the book that I have pushed him to it's called The Daigel. He finally just came out with it last week. You can get it on Amazon. I wrote the foreword. <laughs> and uh, it, it is wonderful. Unfortunately, it's only the first safer of Bracious. Now let's look at what The Daigel says here. The Daigel says, what is this Aleph Zeira? What is this small Aleph? We've gone through this whole litany from scholarship, the possibilities for this orthography, through the Medrash to show that it goes on, on God's relationship to the prophets of Israel versus the prophets of the world, to the notion that the Aleph Zeira represents the divine contraction and the Aleph Zeira represents Moshe's contraction or Moshe's humility. Let's look at what the Degel said. Old Yirmas Aleph Zeira, Hainu. Eitzel Moshe ki biyomov Torah Zeira bekatnas. Wow. What is he saying? He is telling us that in Moshe's day, having received the Torah, 
having received the Torah on Har Sinai, it was not the ultimate Torah. It was not the ultimate Torah. That is, that it was a Torah that we have, the halacha, the black and white, the rule book. It's Bezeira Ubekatnas. The Aleph Zeira represents the entire Torah, which how, however we look at it, it's a kind of diminished Torah. Ki afal pi Moshe Rabbeinu kibel kol Torah kulo. Im kol even though he received the whole Torah on Har Sinai, nevertheless, lo hisiga rak me'achorov. Wow. The divine revelation to Moshe was a backhanded one. As it says, when he says in Exodus 33, you know, God, can you please show me your glory? What do you mean? You've been up there for 40 days and 40 nights and you didn't see my glory? No, because God says, Lo yirani adam no one can see me and live. The only thing you will see is my behind. And the Degel in this dazzling Torah says, what you see in the Torah is also my achoroi, my afterglow. It's merely an afterglow. And then he close, closes by saying, but in the future, your ear He will show you his ponim. And what will happen if you don't see his afterglow, but you will see his front? The Yizgale There will be a new revelation of the Torah Gadosha Ba'or Pnei Melechayim. The Ozis Gadel the Yisrabe HaTorah. Then the Torah will multiply, magnify the Yeh Aleph Rabosi. Then it will be, it will be the large Aleph. It is a dazzling Degel that tells us that what we're dealing with in our lives and in our understanding and relationship with the divine, which basically is through the Torah, it is diminished from the beginning, from the start. It was never meant to be the total picture. That's for the future. And I'm reminded of the story of Shlomo Kalabach and the Munkatsha passport, but I'd like to spin it a different way. If I can share with, end with this. In this story, his uncle asked the Munkatsha Rebbe for a passport to travel from Munkatsch to Berlin just before World War II. Now, considering the climate of the times, the request seemed impossible to fulfill. After many hours, the Rebbe emerged from his private chamber and gave him an empty piece of paper soaked with tears, with which Schleimer's uncle was escorted everywhere in Germany with great honor. Rav Schleimer explained that the Munkatsha passport surfaces over and over in our lives. The Munkatsha passport is an empty piece of paper soaked with tears. There's nothing written on it, but every time he went to the border, the border opened up. When a bride walks around the groom, they give each other the Munkatsha passport. When children are born, they close their eyes and cry, giving to and receiving from their parents a Munkatsha passport. When we stand near the Kotel to pray, we do so with the Munkatsha passport. And Rav Shlomo concluded, when we begin the Talmud, we start on the second page, Daf base. Where's Daf Aleph? Where's the first page? It's empty. It's absolutely empty. It's the Munkatsha passport. So he never explained what the Munkatsha passport means. And for some, it means infinite love. And therefore, the Aleph Vayikra is small to remind us 
of the importance of approaching God with the Daf Aleph, with that first page, the Munkacha passport, symbolic of unconditional love that we ought to have for God. But I, I read it darker. I'm sorry. Is the small Aleph a diminishing of the self, like the Hasidic masters suggest, or the Balaturim? Moshe's self-sacrifice or humility, or his inability to comprehend Torah compared to Odomarishon? Or is it a reflection that Moshe realizes that his encounter with the divine, as we learnt last week, is in fact tenuous and uncanny, and therefore does not deserve a full meeting with a full Aleph? At times he's permitted into the Oel Moed, and at times other access is denied. In comparing him to Bilam, and the angels where one has no aleph and the angels have a full aleph, the Medrash unwittingly agrees that all have access to the divine, both heathen, Israelite, and angelic. So how do we process this deep Midrashic insight? How do we relate to the divine in history? And what does the small aleph teach us? And as we live through these very dark times, times that we haven't experienced since World War II, we keep coming back to this idea of what is the relationship with the divine during the dark times, both individually, spiritually, and on the geopolitical arena. Some people say it's all Menashamayim, others express it as Mashiach time, and it's the Ikvas of the Mashiach. We've heard that every time during our history when we suffer. But I would like to suggest that actually we are holding the Achorayim of the divine. That when God is telling Moshe, that you can only see my afterglow, looking back in history, looking back in time, you can never divine what my intent is as you're going through it. Moshe's response is, therefore the Aleph is small. Therefore the Torah that we have is diminished and incapable of divining the secret knowledge as we are going through something. And therefore that leaves us bereft of the divine at times, what we call Hesteponim, God's hidden face. And I think that, that we are being invited to live our lives in an ethical way and using our own ethical judgment at all times, no matter what we were told, not what matter our tradition told, we have the responsibility to face all of this in the absence of the divine, with the divine approval. And I think that's the message of the small Aleph of Vayikra. May we all go through these times and survive them and do the right thing. May our leaders do the right thing.